I'm sure all kids are going to listen to the sermon now. <laughs> all right, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that we have the privilege of meeting here in a peaceful context where we're protected and are free also to open the scriptures. We pray now that you would open our eyes and open our ears and move in our hearts so that we want to hear what you have to say and are eager to walk after you in paths of righteousness. And we pray this, not for our sakes, but because we want to honor you and glorify you. So help us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Ever heard the song, Don't Let the, Go uh, Don't Let the Devil Ride? I almost said, Don't Let the Gospel Ride. Don't let the, did you ever hear it? Don't Let the Devil Ride? Well, can I tell you about it a little bit? Uh, uh, the pseudonym for the author is Memphis Minnie. And uh, she's given us some helpful reminders in this song. Don't let the devil ride. He'll want to drive. Don't let him flag you down. He'll turn you around. Don't let him talk to you. He'll tell you what to do. Don't let him be your boss. He'll make your soul be lost. No, no, no. Don't let the devil ride. It reminds us that we're in a spiritual battle, right? And it also uh, casts a vision for the future. And that vision is living free of Satan's influence. Think with me about what we do week after week as we gather to worship. We take some portion of God's word, sometimes they're smaller, others a little longer, um, and it depicts some aspect of God's ideal world. Think about that. What we just read depicts some aspect of God's ideal world. In the sermon, then, the Lord invites us to align our lives with this future that he's just set before us. And he calls us, then, to take practical steps to live in keeping with his precepts and his priorities and his practices. So, today's theme is all about living free of the devil's influences, his temptations. Instead, we are called to aspire in our moment-by-moment -moment decisions to please God. Aspire to please God. We're looking at this long section that John just read for us, Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 53. If you have a Bible and can turn to it, that'll help as we kind of move down through it. Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 53. If you're new to the Bible, uh, turn to the New Testament. We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then the book of Acts, chapter 7, begin with verse 1. This vision of aspiring to please God 
comes to us in three parts. There's an encouragement, a reminder, and a directive. What's the encouragement? Honor those who bring God's word to you and obey the word they bring. That's the encouragement. What's the reminder? Rest in the God who is always present with you no matter where you find yourself. And uh, what's the directive? Make Christ known as he gives you opportunity in your daily contacts. Encouragement? Yep, honor the Lord. Rest in his care? Reminder? And directive, make Christ known. That's it. And underneath this is the idea that in a saving relationship with Jesus, the Lord has a good future for you. And so live out of the resources that he provides. Let's do a little review. Acts begins with lots of Jews coming back to Jerusalem for Passover. Having witnessed our Lord's crucifixion, there's a small group of disciples huddled together in prayer, wondering what's next. And what is next? Pentecost. In no time flat, the Holy Spirit begins to work and draw people in an unprecedented way to faith in Christ. Look at, compare just chapter 1, verse 15 with chapter 2, verse 41. Luke says that the number of of disciples jumps from uh, 120 to 3,000. And then look at chapter 4, verse 4. From whatever that number is, it goes up to 5,000 men and who knows how many women and children. We aren't told. And uh, then chapter 5, verse 14. Multitudes of men and women are added. And chapter 6, verse 7. Many priests become obedient to the faith. One commentator suggests that there may, guesstimates, that there may have been by this time perhaps 10,000 new believers in Jerusalem. Imagine that. But these believers are not homogeneous. They include Gentile proselytes and also Jews from different cultural linguistic backgrounds. Principally in chapter 6 we see some Greek-speaking Jews and Aramaic-speaking Jews. Other differences. Well, the Aramaic speakers, they were mainly native to Palestine. And they had taken a strong patriotic stance. They're against the Greek makeover that followed after Alexander the Great. The Greek speakers, more from outside Palestine. And influenced by Greek thought and culture, uh, they had a more universal look of things and were more familiar and accommodating to the Gentile world. Now, the Jewish groups shared strong religious convictions. 
but they had significant cultural differences, and so tension develops. Baby Christians from the Greek-speaking world, uh, they feel their widows are being overlooked at the daily uh, at the local church food bank. Uh, if you remember, when Aslan preached from Acts chapter 6 uh, a couple weeks ago, he helped us see that the Lord addressed this problem in ways that deepened oneness, where there had previously been friction, deepened oneness, and expanded gospel influence. Amazing how the Lord works. Enter Stephen, one of five pivotal players in the book of Acts. Can you name the other four? Besides Stephen, who's a big player? Peter? Paul, yeah. Uh, who comes after Stephen in the chronology of the book? Philip? Um, I mean, did I just name? Let's see. Stephen? No, let's start at the beginning. Peter? Stephen, Philip, Cornelius, and Paul. Those are the main players, I think. Well, Stephen now has a role. He helps uh, Greek-speaking widows uh, who need food. And he is also very effective in gospel proclamation. And so, again, last week, Ashlon showed us that his ministry got him into trouble. What was the gripe that religious leaders had against Stephen? Well, blasphemy, saying bad words, abusive talk, railing against God and against Moses in two principal ways. First of all, he spoke against the temple, saying that Jesus was going to destroy it. And secondly... He spoke against the law, claiming that Jesus was going to change the customs that Moses had laid down for any Jew. Now, let's just make a few observations about Stephen's remarks that we just heard read. He makes no mention of Jesus by name. No mention of the resurrection. There's no call to repentance and an offer of forgiveness. And we ask, why not? I think in Stephen, what the Lord is doing to the Jewish elite in Jerusalem is something like this. He's saying, look, you've had your chance. Now I'm sending the gospel to the Gentiles. So let's now follow the flow of thought and we'll just trace what we heard read, how the... Uh, how Stephen gives us this history of Abraham and then Joseph and Moses and David and Solomon and all the way up to Stephen's contemporaries. With Abraham, God doesn't confine himself to one place. Did you notice as we were reading? It's interesting. It says that God appeared to Abraham when he was in... Where? Not... Or the Chaldees, not in the promised land. He appeared to Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia. Uh, 
He takes him from there to Haran and then to the promised land, but he doesn't give Abraham so much as one footprint of property for his own. None. Furthermore, he tells Abraham that his descendants will be enslaved. Where? In a foreign land for 400 years. What's the summary? In relation to God, Abraham doesn't need a temple. You don't need a temple to have a relationship with the Lord. Matter of fact, you don't need any holy place. And so the Lord gives himself to Abraham in terms of a word of promise. He gives him circumcision as a sign of the covenant. And he wants Abraham to rest in what he's said. Not find some security in where he is. Which raises the question. Where do you look for security? Your health? Having a trauma-free, drama-free family? Have to wait to heaven for that. Security in your job, your financial resources, your friends, who you know. I love William Cooper. He's written all kinds of poems, numbers of which have been set to music. Uh, here's one uh, of his poems, part of it. Jesus, where'er thy people meet, there they behold thy mercy seat. Where'er they seek thee, thou art found, and every place is hallowed ground. We're standing on holy ground today in this moment because the Lord is present with us. Who's up next? Joseph. His brothers, jealous of him, sell him into slavery. But we're told, look at verse 9 now, God is with him in this distant place of Egypt. Amazing. Through all of his trials, he's hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, ends up in Potiphar's house, then he's in prison on a false charge, and the Lord is with him all the way. Stephen also says that Joseph was buried in Shechem, far from the temple. God has made us for relationship with him. And he intends us to work out our relationship with him in relationships with those around us. First, in our families, right? What's a family intended to do? To take care of the other members of the family, to cover their back. And the same is true in the church. What's to be the case in, among the people of God? That we're covering one another's back, we're watching out for each other, we're supporting each other. Just read the Ten Commandments, for example. And so I wonder, 
Which of you would say today, I know what it's like to have those I trusted be unfaithful to me? Anybody here say that? I know what it feels like. I know what it's like to have those upon whom I thought I could be, depend turn on me. I can tell you, I know what that's like. It's awful. And it's so confusing, I can't get my head around it. And so I say to you, if you have had that kind of experience, take comfort from the life of Joseph. As the Lord was with him, so the Lord promises to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. Wherever you go on God's green earth, he will be with you every step of the way. We come next to the longest section in this speech. And it's all about Moses. It begins at verse 17. And uh, what the religious leaders are most concerned about is what we find Stephen now addressing here. So Stephen tells us that as a comparatively young man, Moses was, first of all, rejected by his own people. He goes out to check on them. Uh, they're being abused. He kills the Egyptian. He comes back the next day, finds people quarreling. He says, you can't do this. We're brothers. We're to watch out for each other. We're to care for each other. They say, oh, you're going to kill us the way you killed the Egyptian? And he heads for the road. He, he just hits the road. He goes to Midian where he hopes he's going to be safe. And when he's in Midian, what happens? God appears to him at a burning bush and says, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. Now remember, this wasn't a temple where God appears to, Abraham, to, to Moses. This is Gentile territory, a mountainous region as best we can tell. And yet God is there, and his presence makes that holy ground. Lord sends him back to Egypt to rescue his people, and Moses is rejected two more times. He's up on the mountain receiving the law, and the Israelites are down at the, mountain, down at the bottom with Aaron, and they say, where is this guy? Uh, make us gods. And so Aaron does. Out comes a calf, he says. They reject Moses' leadership. And then, leading them through the wilderness, they say, oh, if we could just go back to Egypt where we had our garlic and leeks. That was real food. But we have to eat this manna? In recounting this history, Stephen is bringing together some important ideas. First of all, that Jewish leaders have missed the point. They wrongly think that because they have the temple in Jerusalem, that that gives them a firm hold on God's blessing. They also wrongly think if they're faithful to the traditions as they want and understand those traditions to be, um, that will give them right standing with God. 
And it's not by works of righteousness. Anybody's righteousness, that we have right standing with God. That comes through faith in Christ, right? But Moses, but Stephen is saying, if you really were faithful to the things that you say you believe, then that would make a difference in your behavior. Rather than putting me on trial. And rather than murdering your Messiah. Furthermore, Stephen is saying to them, Jewish leaders would express gratefulness for the privileges they have received as the covenant people of God and act to fulfill the huge responsibility that is laid on them because of those privileges by being faithful witnesses to those around them. Think about the privileges that you have received. How many days, weeks, years, months, decades have you known Christian truth? What changes is it making in your behavior? That's the issue before us here in this passage. After the benediction today, I'm going to say to you, please be seated. We have one minute for ministry. And Travis and Kara are going to get up and tell us a little bit about their trip next week. They're going, well, I can't. I can't say, Travis, I don't want to steal your fire. Anyway, they're heading out uh, at the end of the week. And they're heading out to bless people the Lord has brought into their lives who have very little access to the gospel. And I can't wait to hear your report. What are the privileges that you have received? How are they being worked out in your life to bless people around you? That's the question here. This brings us now to David and Solomon, verses 44 and following. We go from talking about Moses as a leader to the subject of the temple as God's dwelling place. The Lord had told Israel to construct a tabernacle for him when they were in the wilderness. That would be the place of meeting. They'd set it up and they'd take it down. They'd set it up and they'd take it down. It was the center of the camp and the place that God had chosen to have his name. The temple was not God's idea. It was David's idea. He said, I want a permanent place for God. And the Lord says, well, you can't build it, but your son Solomon will. Solomon, however, got the idea about the limitations of the temple. He says, will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. When your people pray toward this place, listen from heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear... Forgive. What Solomon had to say about God's temple and what Stephen has to say about the temple fit with one another. God doesn't live in houses made with, by men. Stephen's audience had so confused things that they, they, they had a mistaken notion that uh, 
a prediction that the temple would be destroyed was blasphemy. And, God's, and Jesus is the one who said that that would happen. Remember? Stephen's historical narrative now suddenly changes, and we're going to look at verses 51 and following. He says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, always resisting the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have betrayed and murdered, and you received the law as delivered by angels, but did not keep it. Earlier generations, Stephen says, had persecuted the prophets and killed them, even as they were predicting that the coming one would be the righteous one. This persecution of the messengers whom God sent out out of pity for his people would contribute to Jerusalem's fall and the temple's destruction. And so in verse 49, please look at it. In verse 49, Stephen now quotes from Isaiah 66, verse 1. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? And Isaiah continues. This is the one to whom I look. This is the one in whom I am pleased. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Now just think about this. Think about this millennia overview. Abraham and the covenant of circumcision, Joseph and deliverance out of Egypt, Moses and escape from captivity, years in the wilderness, David and Solomon in the temple. What impact should all these blessings have had? And wasn't all of this intended, first of all, as a word of encouragement? Wasn't it intended, wasn't it given to us to remember this? Honor those that give you God's word and obey the word they bring. And wasn't it given as a reminder to us? Rest in the God who is with you wherever you go. And wasn't it also given to us as a directive? Do what you can to make Christ known to others. Krishna and Meg own a restaurant here in town, and they've worshipped with us a few times. Their lives illustrate the future which Stephen points us to. Guess where they are today? Do you know where they are? At their own expense, they're in India, serving some of the poorest of the poor, some of the most unreached peoples of the world. They recently sent an email, and this is part of it. Someone in a government office is helping us identify destitute families, low caste and untouchable groups, so we can come alongside them. We are close to a large city, and along the journey we find tent slums. We have found large crowds of beggars and Hungry people waiting for
for some small help someone would offer them. Pray that in the midst of all such suffering and such a strongly rooted Hindu culture that God would open doors and windows for us to proclaim the gospel to the people around us. And here's God's call in your life. Isaiah chapter 66, the end of verse 2. This is the one in whom I am pleased, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So, the takeaway today is seek to make Christ known. Don't be like the religious leaders of Stephen's day. Be faithful to the Lord who has blessed you wherever you go. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Be in fear of dread, for it is I, the Lord your God, who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Lord, we thank you for your word and ask you to bless it to us. We pray that you would help us to have ears to hear state, uh, Stephen's word of encouragement and his reminder and his directive. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.